The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and call the Committee of the Whole meeting for March 14th to order. I'm March 14th, I'm looking up. So we actually... Yes, it is March 14th. Okay. Oh, my goodness. It is, isn't it? We are flying through this year. Uh, let the record reflect the starting time of 531. Uh, with that being said, Clerk Boak, would you please take the roll? Councilmember Hussein? Here. Councilmember Wood? Here. Councilmember Spadafore? Here. Councilmember Spitzley? Here. Councilmember Garza? Here. Councilmember Jackson? Here. Councilmember Daniels? Here. Councilmember Brown? Present. All members present, you have a quorum of eight. Excellent. That brings us to the meeting minutes for February 28th, 2022. Vice President Wood. Uh, thank you, uh, President Hussein. I would move the minutes of February 28th as written. There is a motion on the floor for the discussion. Seeing and hearing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 All those opposed, same sign. Motion carries. That brings us to public comment on agenda items. Dissimilar to uh, City Council, we don't have sign-up. Uh, we do invite folks to come on down. Uh, if they have public comment on any of the uh, agenda items uh, before us. Uh, we do have two presentations as well as a resolution for the ratification of a TA with Teamsters 214 supervisory and non-supervisory units. Uh, should you have public comment, we simply ask that you state your name for the record. Seeing none. Uh, that moves us to item number five, presentations. Uh, we do have two presentations tonight. The first presentation being um, a presentation on fiscal year 2021-2022 second quarter general fund status report and vacancy positions report. Jake, we appreciate you being here. We do, in fact, have Jake Brower, who is our budget director. Uh, let me first say I very, very much appreciate you uh, and your patience uh, with us on February 28th. Uh, we had um, scheduled uh, Jake Brower. Um, he did have the understanding that we might not be able to make it to him and he might need to be back at this meeting. Um, and he was uh, very gracious uh, in accepting kind of that charge, and here he is to, uh, before us tonight. Uh, you guys do have documents in your packet um, that will probably be referenced uh, to throughout the presentation. So with that being said, I would turn the floor over to Mr. Jake Brower. Thanks for being here. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here and glad to uh, serve at the will of council. So uh, always ready to present uh, as to the fiscal health of the city. Overall, you have the second quarter general fund status report for fiscal year 2022 for the period July 1st, 2021 to June 30th, uh, 2022. Overall, the city budgeted to end fiscal year 2021 with about $14 million in combined general fund reserves, budgeting uh, $133 million in total revenues, including transfers, and 151 in total expenditures for an ending fund balance of $14 million after use of American Rescue Plan Act funds, uh, supplementing government services to the extent of revenue losses. The city's fund balance policy recommends a fund balance between 12 and 15% of expenditures. The city's financial audit is now complete finding that the city has exceeded the threshold through a combination of one-time savings, state and federal support, and improved income tax collections. Uh, the administration has reserved these excess funds into committed fund balance pending further action and discussion by city council 
uh, in the administration related to city ordinance and budget policies. We are preparing a budget amendment to go along with the FY23 budget, executive budget proposal, which will be delivered to this body on March 28th. Overall, at the first page, you'll see a pie chart, including a breakdown of the 22 general fund budget. Uh, you'll see again that the largest portion of that is our retirement or fixed costs. This includes our pension contribution, our retirement healthcare uh, contributions towards benefits, uh, workman's comp, and uh, sick leave, vacation leave buyouts that occur at the end of a person's occupation at the city. Overall, uh, revenues are through December are on track with expectations for the amended budget. Uh, we are approaching March, uh, the end of March, so you'll be seeing an update fairly soon. Property taxes are 35% of our budget, largely collected at the beginning of the fiscal year. Uh, revenue currently exceeds budgeted amounts. However, this is subject to tax appeals and adjustments, in particular tax captures, which are largely calculated around this time of year, confirmed by our partners at uh, the Economic Development Corporation, uh, and those will be accounted for properly very soon. Income tax collections have been a source of significant concern as we uh, look at COVID-19 and its impacts. Uh, particularly looking into the future. Now that we've completed uh, a full year's worth of audit of uh, COVID-19, we have a baseline for understanding how much we have been impacted. Overall, when we first looked at this pandemic, we projected around a 20 to 25% cut uh, from our original projection of about $39 million uh, for that year. Um, it turned out that we only lost about $2 million from that source. Um, so that's been uh, very favorable, uh, although, of course, we're still uh, looking with caution as we look into future years and what growth we may expect. <clears throat> Return on equity is a payment we receive from the Board of Water and Light uh, at two times of the year, December and June. The current contract includes a guaranteed $25 million payment to the city and 3% of uh, the Board of Water and Lights June 1 to May 31 revenue in excess of $409 million, $836.66. Uh, specifically, this is revenue from retail and wholesale, chilled water, electric, steam, heat, and water utilities, uh, coming out to about 19% of our general fund budget. Can I stop you real quick? Yes. So my understanding is in terms of the Second Amendment to, to that agreement that we have, we are in the last year of that, correct? That is correct. Okay, so where are we at in terms of negotiations? Overall, we are fairly close to the end of negotiations. You should be able to expect that uh, we are on track uh, to getting that approved by the end of this fiscal year. So it will be in place. Uh, as right, part are of we also looking at the, right now it's 3% uh, in excess of $409 million. Are we looking at that percentage mm -hmm. as part of that negotiation as well? Yeah, so uh, overall the discussion is in uh, development. We are looking to go away from the fixed uh, fixed dollar amount back to the variable rate now that we've gotten a little farther past the pandemic and we have a little bit more control over our revenues. 
Uh, so more details will be uh, presented to this body soon. All right, President Spadafore. Jake, I don't need the information. Did I say president? Yes, you did. It's I just a, like hearing it. It's a night already, isn't it, folks? Yeah. I just like uh, hearing it. Councilman Spadafore, <laughs> go ahead. Um, well, now my former vice president, current president, threw me off here. Oh, um, <laughs> could you, I don't need the information today. Would you mind just running an analysis to see, uh, had we stuck with the, with the formula, what we would have lost or gained? Just, I'm curious, I, for when... Uh, Dick comes with us and says he was very generous in freezing it. We appreciate that, but I want to know if if there was a, a loss or a gain. They're just out of curiosity. There, it was. A, I think it was the right move to do regardless, mm -hmm. but wanted to know the difference. Yeah. Overall, this city, I would say, gained. Nothing. I figured that's what the answer mm -hmm. was going to be. Thank you. It's a great question. I think I'm also curious to know: Did their revenue uh, during the agreement ever actually climb in excess of that number, and did we receive a payment? No. No. Okay. Thank you. And we confirmed that by looking at their year-end audit. Vice President Wood. I would also suspect that the indebtedness has changed from what it had been previously to what they have incurred because of the pandemic. Is that correct? Are you talking as to the Board of Water and Lights yes. financials? Uh, I can't really speak to those in broad detail, um, but. If you could check into that, I, I would appreciate it. I think the rate of indebtedness, because of outstanding bills, I think we heard when they were before us that it was quite uh, substantial compared to what it had been in the past. Mm -hmm. So their outstanding debt would also be applicable, not just what they're billing, but what they're actually able to collect. The city has also um, aggressively attempted to uh, seek mutual grant opportunities between us. You'll recall that during the um, CARES Act funding, we attempted to apply for public safety, public health payroll reimbursement with the Board of Water and Light. They were ultimately determined to be ineligible. Uh, we have also received significant amount of uh, coronavirus emergency rental assistance grants, about $6.9 million, which to date has been used for utility assistance. Uh, I've reached out to uh, the HRCS department and them to our partners with Capital Area Housing Partnership and Advent House Ministries to see if there's a way that we can better integrate our relationship with Board of Water and Light to uh, work on resolving uh, outstanding utility bills. Vice President Wood. What are you doing with Consumers Power? Uh, personally, very little. Uh, I mean, that's a utility too, and you might have electric and you might have water, but... They would be eligible of SARA funds. We would not uh, gatekeep that. Okay. But we haven't had any discussions with, is what you're saying, with somebody at Consumers Power at this point. No, I'd, I'd be glad to reach out to them. I, I think that's something that absolutely... No, I mean, some of the highest bills were in the last couple of months because of the cold weather so yep and if you have anyone any contacts there who would like to speak to us uh, we'd gladly uh, i think i've got someone i'll check jake and then get back with you thank you thank you councilman jackson thank you mr president and thank you for being here jake this might be somewhat for the city attorney but just considering how the return on 
equity from the Board of Water and Light is so much of our budget annually and um, these negotiated deals. I just am so curious how when the Board of Water and Light is a public utility in the charter and like we share, you know, people kind of, just how does the negotiation process go? Is it like the mayor and the commissioners or the attorneys or the mayor and the, the uh, and Dick Pefley? Just for my information. Probably everyone. Uh, in the past, I've always done the negotiations with the finance director and the uh, Board of Water and Lights uh, uh, executive director. Uh, most recently, I don't know. I think finance is doing it right now. Although yeah. we do the contracts, you know, uh, <clears throat> fine-tune it and put it to the board and all that. I've been at, uh, I'd say, the last three Board of Water and Light meetings, Board of Water and Light trustee meetings, and have not heard that discussion. So I don't know if it's up on their political agenda yet. Maybe before then it was, but not recently. Jake, I don't know if you can add something to that. Yeah, my last talks with... Um the Board of Water and Light, they were going to present a copy of it, uh, although they were going to uh, leave some of the numbers uh, blank, but otherwise provide the form uh, for review. Does that answer your question? It does. It's just uh, just a comment on that. I mean, it's just so strange because the mayor is ultimately, you know, appoints and we, we say yes or no to the commissioners, and he also can you know, set the executive director. It's just like, it almost seems like we're all the same team, but um, these, you know, the money that comes back is so high, a bigger percentage than almost anything we deal with. So I just wonder like, tweaking it one way or the other seems like it would have a big return or, or net difference. And it's just like the negotiation just seems kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's strange because it's not two different parties in my view. So. I'm just curious how that actually ends up going down. Thank you. Do you want to respond? Go ahead. Well, just generally, and I think when we're dealing with development contracts or anything of that nature, the negotiations across the table usually occur between the executive branch of both entities. And then when that's all flushed out, it goes to the full board. What I was referring to is I have not seen anything on the full board at the Board of Water and Light in the last three months yet. So I, I'm assuming you're still negotiating. Vice President Wood. Um, as the city attorney said, the agreement is approved by the Board of Commissioners. It comes to council. We also approve it. I have been here where we did not accept what the board sent us and told us that we wanted something different and sent it back to them. So there is still, um, once it comes to us, we still do have some say as to uh, what we're looking at. All right, Jake, I believe we are on state revenues. Excellent. State revenues are on track with October and December revenue sharing payments received by the city. Uh, very. Uh, in this note, you'll see uh, we stated that some risk remains with constitutional revenue sharing uh, being adjusted to account for the 2020 census uh, beginning with the February payment. We now know the extent of that impact. Overall, based on numbers from the Senate fiscal agencies, 
uh, we can expect to see a $600,000 negative adjustment to constitutional revenue sharing. At the same time, the city is, uh, the state has received significant sales tax in excess of what they had originally projected. Uh, so those two forces are counteracting against each other, uh, leaving us at a overall fairly neutral standing uh, based on where we originally projected to be. <clears throat> Just very quickly, I'm sorry. Um, so, mm -hmm. I, if I if I recall correctly, it was 1.8 percent, correct, in terms of a decline. Are we are we planning to challenge that or no? Or does anybody know? Yeah. Our office is working to. Do, do you mean challenge the the payment? Yeah. So as, as early as January, we as a municipality, we were able to challenge those results. Um, I remember back in the summer um, when some of these results first came out that um, Mayor Shore had said that. We were we were going to actively look to challenge the, the census numbers. Not yes. right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's still in process. Yeah, we we looked at that. The federal government allows actually a, a, a kind of a shockingly long um, deadline for for that work. So yeah, we've got some time and we are working on that. Okay, thank you. Excellent. Overall, state revenues are fifteen percent of the general fund budget. Uh, the remaining categories of expenditures are about 10% of the budget, uh, largest being charges for services, uh, reimbursing the city for uh, various services, code compliance, uh, reimbursements, public safety charges. Uh, uh, overall, revenues are fairly on track. Looking at expenditures, you'll also see notice that we are on track. Uh, there's slight over-expenditures on... Uh, let's see, internal audits, economic development and planning, and that looks like it for December 31st. Like I said, we'll have an update for this upcoming month uh, coming up soon. Vice President Wood. Um, Jake, I, I realize we're looking at the January one and you're, the March one will be coming, but what are we looking at as far as fuel prices? At, at one point, we had a uh, fuel contract um, in our own um, area that we had fuel um, dumps that we would purchase large quantities of fuel. I don't believe we still do that. Um, so um, has there been any um, look as to, because again, when we look at our services, whether it is picking up trash or whether it's code compliance where we've got people out in cars, mm -hmm. you know, our police force, our fire department, all of those need that fuel. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't know that off the top of my head, but I can explore that. Okay, if you, if you could look mm -hmm. at what you anticipate um, with these additional costs um, that are mm -hmm. out there. I'll try and include a comment in the... Um, right, March report. Councilman Garza. Thanks, Council President. And I guess if you're doing that studies, could you look to see potentially what happened in the past, like 10 years ago when gas prices were at this high, if there was something that you guys did? Thank you. Anyone else? Seeing none, Jake. All right. 
Overall, the administration continues to monitor expenditures and seek out necessary savings, uh, both to maintain vital services while also making strategic investments in the city, uh, its economy, and life for residents. Uh, due to the American Rescue Plan Act, the city is able to continue our services uh, despite severe negative impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we'd be having very different conversations right now without the generous support of the federal government uh, from the CARES Act, the American Rescue Plan Act, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Package, which we're uh, working on competitive applications towards grant funds. Uh, ex overall, our goal is to explore every opportunity available to us uh, and hopefully resolve these significant challenges ahead. Uh, the next four pages uh, show a numerical description of the general fund revenues in detail, a departmental summary of expenditures uh, by department, a breakdown by budget appropriation, so uh, budget and appropriation category, and lastly, a governmental su summary which separates out certain expenditures such as uh, retirement fixed costs and information technology expenses which do not directly reflect the operations of individual departments. Are you are you getting ready to transition over to the vacancy report? Yep, if you have no further so questions. Just very quickly before we transition over, uh, Mr. Brewer, any questions or comments out of your office on the general fund status report? Uh, no, and like I said, I do want to commend the finance staff for adding the additional information about the government, the breakdown personnel and operating. I know that's been a proven since I've been here. Um, it adds a lot more detail and it matches a lot of the best practices. Uh, and it matches the budget document. So I really, you know, like I said, we don't go into detail a lot of times with that individual detail, but it's there. It's more transparent. That is encouraging. Thank you. Are there other questions or comments from council members? Mr. Jackson? Just quickly, Jake, there's one thing that caught my attention. You said that we would have a very different conversation, but for the generous generosity of the federal government and the CARES Act. And that's also like one time. So what kind of conversation do you anticipate us having next year when we don't really get to apply that and everything that you know projected? Mm -hmm. So overall, some of this uh, will be answered with our upcoming budget amendment and FY23 proposal. Uh, you'll recall that uh, for the current year budget, we plan to use about 18 million and change towards uh, general fund services, uh, directly subsidizing revenue loss, and another $5 million towards uh, parking fund services. Uh, our intent is that we will no longer need to apply that immediately in this current fiscal year, uh, but use the savings from last year and uh, expectations for this current year to spread that over several years to last us until 2024. And within that time to implement other structural changes such as our recent uh, administrative improvements to the way that we provide healthcare services in order to really address this uh, deficit, whether both the cyclical and structural uh, effects of it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, sorry if that was long-winded and circular. Councilman Spadafore. No, I just think that's a great question uh, from Councilmember Jackson, and I wanted to let him know that 
Jake and I have been talking in the Ways and Means Committee too that they know we'll be watching closely on the structural versus ongoing deficit to make sure that whatever budget the council takes a look at is either balanced or plans to be balanced within the, within the arc of when ARPA funds will run out. So great question, thank you. Okay, I think we are ready to move on to the vacancy report. Excellent. So the vacancy report consists of the vacant positions as of December 31st, 2021. Uh, you'll recall that in our general fund, uh, we budgeted $1.4 million in vacancy savings. Uh, this, I would anticipate that with our next year's budget proposal, that number will be less uh, as we move from a state of, in during the pandemic, uh, being very cautious about hiring uh, new positions to really being in the stage where we want to uh, be at the top of our game operationally. And so we've uh, been actively engaged in the hiring process, really looking at uh, what we can do to fill all these positions so that we can uh, bring down those concerns. Yes. Councilwoman Spitzley. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, I'm looking at this list of, of vacancies here. Mm -hmm. um, is your finance department fully staffed? Uh, let's see. So at this time, we had the finance director position vacant where uh, I was interim at the time, and then our buyer position vacant. Uh, right now, we have the finance director position filled. Uh, Desiree Kirkland has been doing an excellent job working as both finance director and treasurer, and that's a permanent solution for the city going forward. Um, the buyer position, uh, we had some... Uh, challenges in finding a uh, applicant for that position. However, I can happily report that we have recently uh, hired that position and we expect someone to come on in the next couple weeks. Uh, and then apart from that, all of the other positions, at least in the finance operating budget, has been filled. Uh, yeah. Go ahead with your follow-up. So, so when we had the discussion with the internal auditor, mm -hmm. um, one of the responses as to why there were still material deficiencies and some of the other um, um, deficiencies outlined by the auditor was that you guys were um, short-staffed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so... Uh, you I'd be glad to speak to that. Um, so one of the things that, and you'll hear this talking to pretty much any department across the city, is that... Uh, during the last major recession, 2008, uh, there was not the significant support that we received from the federal government. And as a result, um, citywide departments were really uh, cut to the bone in terms of what staffing cuts could be made. Uh, vacant positions were eliminated outright from the budget. Uh, the finance department, which used to have um, a finance director, um, budget manager, controller, two budget analysts, six accountants, two accounting clerks, three admin positions uh, dropped down to nine uh, out of like those 20 or so. And so um, there's long-term impacts of that. Uh, as you can imagine, there's uh, with fewer people, there's more risk of uh, financial controls being overlooked, uh, greater opportunity for error. Uh, it's not something that the finance department experienced alone. Departments across the city face these challenges, and uh, overall, 
the, our staff has done a great job in meeting many of those challenges, but we are asking people to do two or three jobs and uh, hopefully that that is something that we're planning to address in our uh, next year's budget. Do you have a follow-up? Does that, I'm trying to figure out my mm -hmm. next question. So that does mean that you're, you're planning on adding new positions in the finance department to address Correct. Some of the six year concerns that we've had with some of the audit challenges. Mm -hmm. it is, um, and so those are not outlined on this current list of vacancies because. Because they're not funded in the FY22 budget. Okay, thank you. Vice President Wood, then Councilman Daniels. A uh, couple questions I've got for you, Jake. Um, first of all, under. Let me make sure. Under the fire um, fighter trainee, it says overfilled. Can you tell me what that means? So overall, in the <clears throat> um, the trainee positions between police and fire, mostly work in that if there's a vacancy, uh, we can hire a trainee. So we don't budget five trainees in the department, but if we have five firefighter positions, we put in uh, for. Uh, five trainees, possibly up to. Uh, at the time of this report, which might have just been a data error or the department balancing anticipated retirements, there were six more trainees and there were vacancies. Uh, I believe in following up on that data, uh, that has since uh, gone away. So positions that have left or retired since then uh, have accounted for that. We're, we're getting almost where I need to be with this vacancy factor, okay? I'll come back to the contracts again. Mm -hmm. I would like to see what the offset is where it says a contract. Mm. How much are we saving or is it over what is budgeted for that position? You know, we got the dates in. I'm real thrilled with that. You mm -hmm. know, I mean it's getting there if we could just get that one thing taken care of then not that I'm happy with the vacancy factor but I'll be more content with the report that I've got I'll see about doing that yeah it it is a rather manual report so it is uh, a challenge to produce in this format due to their system however uh, we're not here to um, fail to meet the challenges uh, so we'll do our best to uh, see if we can make that happen for you. All right, and we, thank you. And we certainly appreciate that. Do you have other questions? No, those were the two that I no. had for right All now. Right. Thank Councilman you. Daniels. All right, I don't know if uh, my question is directed at you or at you, Mr. Lawrence, but uh, how many of these positions have been released by department heads to be filled? That might be more of an HR or a question to the specific directors. Uh, I know uh, HR has said that they facilitate hiring, but they're not always leading the process in part due to just simply the um, workload that they have to deal with. Um, I do know that from the perspective of hiring on behalf of finance, uh, we have to engage, uh, we engage HR to sell them. We'd like to hire this vacancy that we have. Uh, we work with them to determine if there's any uh, changes that need to be made within the position description. Uh, HR works uh, with us on a strategy of selection. 
there's a very detailed process by which they make sure that we're going by all the steps of hiring in a legal uh, manner in a way that's consistent with best practices uh, that runs through the NeoGov system. Uh-huh. So, yeah, and if, if I could stop you just for a minute, we had um, uh, Human Resources Director uh, Sanchez Gazella in. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did a, a great job explaining the process, but I think at the time we had learned there were some 119 vacancies mm-hmm. and there were only some 20 posted. So I think the question uh, becomes at this time, how many have been released? I don't, it, it sounds like you guys are not uh, ready to answer that, uh, but if we could get that uh, answer and maybe get it over to Sherry so she could disseminate, I'd appreciate it. Okay. Okay, thank you. Councilman Brown. Thank you, President Hussein. Uh, thank you, Jake, for being here. Uh, you just made a comment about this uh, vacancy report, and I'm new to the council, um, mm-hmm. and then you said something about it being manual. Is this a report that comes from human resources, or does it come from the finance department, seeing that it has the contract factors, what Councilwoman mm-hmm. um, Wood was asking about? So this really comes from a collaboration between the finance and HR departments. Uh, so there's a financial aspect into uh, for the control of positions throughout the city. So we work with HR to determine, uh, to keep track of positions, vacancies, um, reclassifications of positions uh, that occur periodically, um, and transfers people moving from one position to another. Uh, A lot of this is uh, input as an FTE budget into the One Solution software, but that is difficult to keep uh, fully updated. Uh, HR keeps their own list, and I keep my own list that we can cross-reference against each other to make sure that none of us have any errors. And overall, we meet together to make sure that it balances that we uh, both have the same number of positions. And occasionally, there can be quirks in how the data is input that may not show a vacancy at a particular point in time that should be there. Uh, so um, there, through a bit of manual effort, we I work with... Uh, the staff of HR to make sure that uh, this is uh, put together as best as we can. So this is not one report because it seems like it's from a system that we have one report that you can push a button and automate and say, you know, this is what our current vacancy status is as well as the vacancy factor. um, That would be great. (laughs) That's, Uh, That's not possible currently with the current systems? Uh, not with the current systems. I believe, um, a few years ago when I started, Eric Brewer put together a fairly uh, detailed report on the steps that need to be taken to produce this report. Um, he might have that in his records. Uh, okay, thank you. Are there other questions, comments? All right, do you have anything to add, Mr. Brower? No, thank you very much. All right, well, I, again, I really, really appreciate you uh, accommodating, accommodating us and being available uh, the last two Committee of the Holes, truly. Thank you so much. Brings us to our next presentation. Uh, this is the City of Lansing Equity Matrix. Um, I believe we have, okay, we do in fact have Guadalupe Ayala, who is our uh, Chief Diversity Officer. Um, who, do we need to accommodate? We have a big group back there. How many, how many folks are we going to need to accommodate in the well? So we will have uh, Andy here and Linda. Okay. So Mark is, is fine where he's at. I think we're... Nope, I think you're good. And then we just All right, fantastic. Linda, if you want to, Jerry, the way. Okay. Um, There's chairs over there, Linda. 
Is it more comfortable for you? All right, Vice President Wood, is there getting set up? As part of um, a um, focus group that we were doing in my other job, um, we were given an opportunity to see the city of Lansing's equity uh, matrix. I was so impressed with some of the information that it was produced in the data, and I knew council had not yet had an opportunity to see it. That's why I reached out to the president to see if we could have this on, if um, they would be able to explain it um, to council, because I believe it is a great tool uh, for us to use as we're working in our neighborhoods, as well as as we're talking to other business uh, businesses and things like that. So, um, I yeah, just and to I, I too was impressed. Um, I, I think it, it very, very well done, but I think it's a critical that people know that this thing actually exists. And so we certainly appreciate you all being here. Um, if you want to first um, introduce your, your guests and then you can take it away. Yes, uh, well, thank you, uh, Council President. Uh, uh, Hussein and Vice President Wood for the invitation. We also think this is a great opportunity for the community to learn more about uh, the tools. It's two tools, the Equity Matrix and the Workforce Diversity Dashboard. Uh, so my name is Guadalupe Ayala, uh, a stated diversity officer for the city of Lansing. And with me, I have uh, Andy Skelton from the city's infer uh, IT department. Uh, Linda sanchez Gasella, who is also part of the equity executive team. And in the back, he'll be coming forward um, after Andy's presentation and Sam Kwan, also from uh, IT department. Uh, so he'll, we will both, uh, the three of us will be presenting and um, alternating because we need the screen. <laughs> uh, so we also wanna uh, thank uh, a few people uh, critically, Sam and Andy from the city uh, IT department because they really are the ones who did all the digging as far as the research, the collection of the data, but most importantly, putting the, the tools together. Uh, without them, I don't think we could be here today, and uh, we are really appreciative of them. In addition, we also, um, to the creation and tool, they're always accessible into being in community events such as this, and also the press conference, and also at the um, HRCS community forum, uh, where I was able to model a lot of the what they did into give a more uh, in-depth presentation of what the tools um, entail and what they have to offer. Um, we also worked with the city of San Antonio and uh, message makers, Andrea Collier, and a few of our departments here in the city to actually you know, uh, understand what was needed and what they were using. So it's really uh, vital. They were very vital to, to putting these uh, out and also for the community to understand what they were all about. Um, so we are very excited about these tools as well because you know they're really innovative. And from our research, we found that we are the first city in the state of Michigan to actually offer these uh, these tools to our community. So that's really, we're really proud of that. Um, and I will go ahead and follow the slides you should have in front of you as well. Can't see. Oh, it does. Okay, I'm like pressing away my go through. Or Faith, you can click on it. It's not working for me. Yeah, you know, we struggle. Okay. <laughs> Okay, 
So the two tools, the equity matrix and the workforce diversity dashboard can be found uh, at the lansingmi.gov forward slash equity. Uh, there's, we also added a few tools at the main webpage where uh, you can find them in the quick links and under uh, the government tab. So wanted to make it really accessible to everybody. Uh, and in the website, we also have an um, infographic that gives like a little bit of details of walking it through and also a video that we put together for uh, people that you know need that assistance into really seeing how it works. Um, so we will get started with the equity matrix. Uh, we'll try one more time. There we go. So the equity matrix is the tool that Andy Skelton uh, put together, and it really helps us like visualize the local demographics and the disparities, uh, which will lead the users. And the users again can be anybody: city leaders like yourself, uh, employees, organizations, uh, community members to really identify the needs and drive you know, their decision making, their planning, their policies, strategic interventions, our calls to action, investment decisions, and stakeholder engagement, and so forth. So it's a lot that we can do with it. And as stated, you know, we, we were at the HRCS Community Forum. We heard a lot of great feedback, and we're excited you know, that the HRCS Advisory Board is going to be reviewing those applications, and they actually are going to be able to see if any of the organizations that applied actually use the tools. So I'm excited to hear the feedback from them. So uh, the intention is that this information will lead the user to really prioritize like, specific services, uh, specific ways of doing programmatic uh, delivery to one that really like centers the disparities and center an outcome-driven approach to closing those disparities. Uh, the first step is really understanding and being able to visualize what these tools, uh, what are the gaps when using these tools, and the equity matrix really does that for us. So it is an interactive map uh, where you can zoom in, zoom out, and um, I will lead that to the expert, <laughs> Andy Skelton, who will walk through. And Sam is going to pull up the website and the TVs for you all to follow along. OK. As uh, stated before, um, all of the data that, that drives this map um, I collected from the US Census American Community Survey 2019 five-year estimate. So a quick note about um, why I'm using 2019 data. Due to the pandemic, um, the ACS collection uh, was delayed, um, and um, I've been keeping an eye on when that um, will be released, and it will be released soon. Uh, so as soon as that data has been released to the public, I will go through, collect it, and update the map. So the very first map um, that people will see on this um, is the race index. And so this is an aggregate of the community of uh, people of color within the city of Lansing. So all, um, all non-white, so black, um, indigenous, Asian, were um, all summed up into one category. So this category was then divided into five groups with an equal number of observations, or, or um, census black groups, um, within each classification, it's known as a quintile classification. Um, so then once I had all of the, everything divided up into, into its classifications, I gave each group, depending on the percentage, a score. So a score of one would be uh, the lowest percentage um, and the lightest color, or so zero to 15.7%. 
all the way up to the highest percentages, uh, 53.8 all the way up to 80.9% uh, was given a score of 5, falsely the darkest colors that you see on this map, and then ranging in between. Can I stop you just for a minute? Thank you so much, Councilman Garza. Thanks, Council President. Appreciate you guys being here tonight. Thank you very much. Um, you know, with the, with the matrix that you just showed us, and I understand that's you're probably getting that from the U.S. Census. Now, with, with the way that the categories, categories are for the race and ethnicity, you know, I'm concerned about how, how that obscures, you know, the racial identities of Latinos in our, in our community. You know, so how are we able to um, assist with the disparities of our community for the Latinos here in Lansing and make sure that, you know, their racial justice is actually being, you know, looked at and, and, uh, and made, you know, a point to take care of that community in this, in this community. Yes. So um, we are using, again, as you said, the census data. And in the census data, you can identify as Hispanic. So you'll be able to see, you know, where area, the area with using the, sorry, I was looking at the map. Using the race index, you'll see, as uh, um, Andy explained, the darker the color is, the higher the, um, the index score. And that means that that's the place in the city where most people of color live. Um, you can't really, the data, the organizations or the individuals that use it can use it at what, however they, they, they want it. We can't really specify, oh, we're going to help out Latinos, we're, we're going to help out Asians, but we can really see where, um, where they are located. And if you, that's kind of why we wanted to refer, I forgot to say that at the end, at the, at the end of my part, is that if we want to refer the questions at the end, because Andy really gets into the details as far as when you click in a block group, you'll see it divided. Um, so for example, it'll say in this block group, there's 100 people. And out of those 100 people, uh, 20 are Hispanic and three are Asian. But I, I so. think that's the question. So when you look at mm -hmm. uh, people of color, uh, the groups are segregated out. So you have the black, yep. you have the uh, American ind indigenous, you have the Asian, the Pacific Islander, but you don't see um, on any of these, at least I wasn't able to find it, um, a group for Latinos as an example. Yeah, but they're under Hispanics, which some of them may um, be identified as, you know, both Latinos and Spanish. So Hispanic, I mean. No, I, I understand that. And, I, and I'm sorry that you know, I asked a question, you weren't finished, so excuse me, I, I pardon pardon my ex excuse here. But, uh, you know, I just know that, you know, like in the 1930s, when they used to identify a specific race for Hispanics and Latinos, you know, they used that for, you know, rounding people up and taking them back across the border. Same with Japanese people, and, you know, the list goes on. And that has never changed, and I thought that maybe they were potentially going to do that during the last administration. So now I'm just afraid that these... I'm concerned that these numbers are obscured, and and how how are we able to uh, look after the the needs for the Latino population in the city of Lansing when we don't really have a, a sense of how many there are in the city because of how you have to identify. Yeah, and yeah, that's a. I mean, it, it is a concern, and it's again we can utilize the matrix and the data that we have, and we can say you know that's a call to action, you know, that is missing. And our community can really see that and say, you know, that's not there and look at the data, you can visualize that there's a lot of people of color in this area, but how do we know 
that they are Latinos because, you know, we don't ask that question. So I think we can utilize it in our own ways to, you know, explain those, uh, those concerns that you have. Okay, Andy, so what we'll do is we will hold the rest of our questions as it pertains to the matrix yeah. until you're done. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, like, like uh, Guadalupe said, I, I really do get into the, the data a bit. I am a little bit of a data nerd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, each block group um, is interactable. You, uh, this was designed for people to really get into, you know, take a look at what their neighborhood looked like. Um, so you can click out a block group, you can see you know, not just a breakdown of the percentage of people of color, but you can see Hispanic, you can see black, you can see indigenous. Anything that was collected by uh, the American Community Survey, I tried to show in this map. And so um, up on the uh, right side of the map there, um, we also have a, an average across the entire, um, across all of the black groups. Um, of people of color um, available there at 35.2%. Um, and then below that is a breakdown of race across the entire city overall um, in, within that pie chart. And so moving on into the next map um, is income. And so the income data available from the U.S. Census covers um, a fairly wide um, range of incomes across the city, all the way from no income at all, or up to and um, over $2 million um, annual income. And so what I did is I took that broad range, divided it up into five classes, and then focused uh, solely on the lowest class of zero to $24,999 uh, annual income. And so looking just at that lowest bracket there, um, I do the same sort of analysis looking at uh, the, to get the index score. Again, um, dividing it up into five classes, same number of observations per, um, per class, and then assign it an index score going from one at the lowest number of people within, um, within that census block, block group all the way up to five, showing the, the highest number. Um, again, colors going light to dark, respectively. And so you can, again, same with this map, you can really look into and get a sense of what the um, block group looks like as far as income goes. You can click on a block group, you can see information about it, um, and then you just kind of really get to take a look and, and see what the city looks like. I also include, um, again, uh, the average percentage for this um, income bracket across all of the block groups. Um, for this one, um, about 26% block group-wide fall into this category. And then below that is a breakdown of city income for all, for all five of my um, income brackets across the city. You can kind of get a sense to see where income-wise the city sets at. So the next map um, is a combined index map. And so what this map does is it takes the index scores of the two previous maps, the race and the income, and it combines them together for each, um, each block group. So because of that, 
Instead of starting at 1, I start at 2 and go up to 10. So this kind of, this gives, designed to give um, an illustration of where low income and high numbers of low income and people of color live within the city, a combination of the previous two. So for the next map, illustrates language spoken across the city. And so this specifically looks at um, households of limited English-speaking ability. And so the U.S. Census actually has a fairly well-defined, um, has a really good definition for what constitutes as um, limited English speaking, and that is any household where no member 14 years or older speaks only English or English very well. And there's more information about that definition linked to, um, on, on, as part of this dashboard, to um, the U.S. Census website. You, you can see more information about what they consider as uh, limited English speaking. So again, um, the index score is calculated exactly the same way, um, one to five, with five being the highest per, uh, percentage of these households of limited English speaking ability down to one, which is the lowest percentage. And so again, um, showing a, an average per, across all uh, block groups, two point, I'm sorry, um, I, I, yeah, average uh, black group across the entire city is again displayed, uh, as well as a breakdown of languages spoken um, across the households within the city of Lansing. So English, Spanish, so on and so forth. So the next map, uh, the last one that shows um, this index score, uh, focuses on education. And so this is looking at, uh, on a black group level, percentage of people five or 25 years of age with no high school diploma or equivalent such as the GED. Um, and same method as before. Um, I try to be consistent in my methods here so it makes sense. Um, used to get the uh, index score for each. So uh, starting out with a, a one index score of zero to 2.1 percent up to uh, the score of, a score of five, which is 16 to 42.6%. And so the average across all block groups within this category is around 9.7. And then down below is a breakdown of educational attainment across the entire city. So the final map, I know there are a lot of maps here, but this, as, as I was doing my research, I discovered this to be a very nuanced um, topic, so it, I believe it warranted a fair amount of information here. Um, this is a map of historical redlining within the city of Lansing. So a little bit of history on that. Um, in the 1930s, the Homeowners Loan Corporation um, created a series of maps of cities across the U.S. Um, Lansing was one of them, detailing um, neighborhoods within each city that it looked at. Um, breaking them down into categories of what they called perceived risk regarding home loan. And so each of these areas was divided into one of four categories. 
the very top starting out uh, is A, or as they also called it, best. These are areas uh, where it is easiest to secure a favorable home loan. Um, so fairly affluent neighborhoods, majority of white population. Um, and so the next step down from that uh, was B, or still desirable. These are areas where it was still relatively easy to get a mostly favorable home loan, um, still reasonably affluent, still, we are still a, a fairly high um, white population, uh, but starting to, what, starting to uh, be more uh, diverse in its population. So the next step down from that is C, or declining. These are areas of lower income, starting to see more non-white families. Um, and so loans in these areas were more difficult to get, and the terms attached to these loans weren't, quite, weren't nearly as favorable. So finally, the very lowest level, um, D, is hazardous. And so these are areas of low-income, majority black neighborhood. Loans in these areas were, if not impossible, very difficult to get. And the terms on them aren't uh, exactly that favorable. So to provide some, uh, some context to this map, I added in um, another layer, um, looking, looking at income in another way. Um, so from HUD, um, from their Community Development Block Grant Program, they offer up areas of low to moderate um, income. And so this is data that our city developer, that our development offices use in, um, in, in when, when they look at neighborhoods and uh, figure out where their efforts are um, focused. And so it's another way to kind of look at and get some context for the historical um, effects from this uh, practice. Right, and so with that, I turn it back over to Guadalupe. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Andy. And um, I think you mentioned too how you will update the data over time as it becomes available. Um, and also I know that e, um, we are working and getting like feedback and also just you know within our internal meetings on how we can make it better. And one of the things that we can say that's forthcoming would be like adding the layers of the uh, wards. So that way for you uh, council members, it would be like really uh, helpful to see how your ward and um, you can outline it and really see what, it, what the makeup is. So uh, I appreciate Andy, and um, looking forward to making this better. So, thank you. <laughs> yes. Thanks so much, Andy. Yeah, thank you, Andy. Uh, so he'll go in the back, and we'll have Sam Kwan come in. Is the mic working? Uh, I'm not sure. Test, test. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just stand right here. <laughs> Sounds so good. Next, so we're going to... I'm just going to give a little intro, okay, Sam, just of like a little bit background of the workforce diversity. So it is... Um, the, the workforce diversity dashboard, it does compare the diversity of the city's full-time and part-time workforce compared to the community. Uh, so in addition to the breakout of the demographics, it also gives um, 
the um, information about the number of employees and also the average years of service. So we know that the city of Lansing has a commitment to recruiting, hiring, developing, uh, and promoting a diverse workforce that mirrors the, the, the city and uh, its population. So it is a great tool for city, city leadership to analyze the disparities within our workforce and really modify their recruiting strategies. And our intent really is to monitor this data over time and see how we have progress in our goals that we set, each department set for, um, for their workforce. So, sorry, Sam, you can go ahead. Thank you for this opportunity to present uh, about our diversity dashboard. I'm just waiting for it to come up on the screen. So basically the data in the workforce diversity dashboard, as Guadalupe uh, said, is coming from basically two sources. One, it's coming from the U.S. Census, which gives um, the community makeup. And two, it is coming from our HR payroll system to show what the representation is for our employees. So this dashboard does not include seasonal, temporary, or contract employees. Um, and the employees that are in here, um, basically they might have self-identified or not self-identified. Um, as a policy, the city encourages our employees to voluntarily self-identify their uh, racial or ethnic makeup, but that is voluntary, uh, voluntary and um, is not required. Um, so what you're seeing here on the dashboard is uh, the breakout among the racial categories that we are showing. Um, in the bold numbers, they are coming from our um, payroll system, so those are the city employees that you're seeing. In the community makeup section, it shows the percentage of that makeup within the community from the US Census. Within this dashboard, we also have the ability to filter the data. On the upper right-hand corner, under departments all, right now it's showing all employees, but you're able to filter by departments to see the makeup of the employee workforce in comparison to the community as well. So right now we're looking at the assessor's uh, department and we can see their makeup of employees racially. Um, if we look at the bottom left-hand corner, right now we're looking at the summary tab. If we go to the details tab, it dives into additional details based on um, race and gender as well as uh, years of service. Um, so within here, um, in the chart, you, in the table, you see that there's 830 employees right now uh, employed by the city. Uh, from the race and gender um, chart, you're able to see that uh, female employees rep are represented by the red and male employees are represented by the blue. And you also could tell that the average year of service is 10 years. Uh, within that chart to the right, you see that there are 23 people that are, have less than a year of service, but then we have one employee that's been in the service of the city for, over, uh, for 36 years. Within this, you also have a slider where you're able to slide across and zoom in to certain parts of the chart so that it'll display a little better. So basically that is a overview of the workforce um, diversity dashboard. And I'm gonna turn it back over to Guadalupe. 
Thank you, Sam, and thank you again for your all the work that you did in putting this together. It's our pleasure. Thank you. But uh, we're going to have uh, Sam and Andy, too, for any questions uh, you have. So they're here to stay. And if I'll go back to my slide. Um, so it, that is the overview of the tools. Uh, we really hope you know the community is able to utilize it. Leaders like you are able to utilize it uh, to help. You know um, the way that we drive policy, the day, the way that we um, collect data, and uh, that when we apply for grants. Uh, so we're excited really to hear any feedback and any recommendations, not only from you but also from the community. Uh, so we have a um, email where people can reach out to us or call us and if or if they have any recommendations of a pot of data that Andy and Sam can dig in and um, make the equity better and greater that would be you know that's also there um, so it, it is really like an intent that um, we improve like the outcomes of uh, when we improve the outcomes or the way that we uh, work with those that are more in disparity, that at the end, all residents can really benefit from that. So um, we're excited and open for questions. Again, Linda and Andy and Sam and I are here. As a point of information with the workforce dashboard, the information or data from the city side is as um, current as March 8th, and we're updating it on a quarterly basis. Yes. Thank you so much. Do we have questions or comments? Councilman Daniels. Thank you, President Hussein. Um, my question is, uh, when we're talking DEI on this dashboard, are you guys including uh, people with disabilities as well? Is that on there and I just didn't see it? At um, this time, we're not. Okay. But that's something that um, if we were able to uh, have access to that data, we mm -hmm. could incorporate that as something in the future uh, upon the discretion of the administration. Okay. Thank you. Councilman Garza, then Vice President Wood. Thank you, Council President. I guess this is just more of a comment. Um, going back to what I said earlier, I just I believe those numbers are pretty skew, uh, skewed as far as uh, the 12.4 percent of the community makeup is Latino, because of the way you have to identify it during, mm -hmm. with the census. Mm -hmm. So I would hope the city is putting some kind of effort in place to help uh, service the needs of that community, because I don't I I believe the community population is quite higher than that 12.4 percent. Thank you. Vice President Wood, then Councilman Brown. I, I would encourage you to reach out to Disability Network. Uh, they would be a good group for you to partner with. Uh, they have huge statistics that, that would help for, um, they do it for the Tri-County, but they would have it for our area. So I would encourage you to reach out to them. Thank you, thank you. Councilman Brown, then Councilman Spadafore. Thank you, President Hussein. Thank you so much for your presentation. It was so informative and it, it really is encouraging to see how much effort and thought that you all have put into this and then also looking at it from so many different perspectives. So I appreciate that and wanted to say that. Um, a few questions. Um, I, I agree with uh, Councilman Daniels and, and uh, as well as Councilman Garza. Um, and I had a question about the updates. Um, I, I noticed you guys said you're pulling data from, from different um, groups is that something I, it sounds like it's very automated or is there some type of system when new data comes we're pulling from it automatically um, so that was a that was a question and then I have a few others 
Oh, uh, I, I, I need to apologize. I've spent way too many, uh, way too much time at uh, punk shows in my 20s. I've lost some of my hearing. Um, could you repeat the uh, the question? Oh, I'm so sorry about that. Uh, my question was, I noticed that we talked about uh, we're taking data from other resources and, and inputting it into into the different, um, re, you know, reports that we're providing. Um, and I heard a comment about we're doing that manually. So my question is, when new data is available, um, does it automatically pull into our system, or is that something like a staff has to do and has to be mindful to say, I have to look at it every you know two months or every year? That is something that uh, Sam and myself will uh, do ourselves. So, so what we do is monitor when data is updated. With the American Community Survey, um, it's periodically updated. Um, the next update is going to be March 17th. So when that date hits, the data will be available to us, and we would basically update it at that time. Um, same with our um, HR data. Um, that information is always changing. Um, it is not automated, but we're going to run a report on a quarterly basis so that it is updated on a quarterly basis. Oh, thank you for that. I would encourage you guys, if there was an automation process available or if, you know, to try and program something, because as you guys add data, as you guys have expressed that you want to continue to allow uh, the information to be free-flowing uh, and add to uh, according to, you know, community participation, it might get cumbersome to keep track of it all, and we don't want something that's so great now to be saying, well, we don't know how, you know, if it's updated or not. Yeah, part, part of the challenge is that we're working with three different systems. Um, so we have to pull data from the U.S. Census Bureau, um, which is uh, their proprietary system that we're allowed to export. And in order to automate the process, we would need to do some programming and look at if there is a application program interface that can connect to the data and automatically up update it. So that's part of the challenge that we have. But um, we will um, look further at the possibility of automating the process. Um, I know that with uh, HR data, we have to run it through a Python program in order to get it formatted and presented properly so that we can upload it into um, our website. Well, fantastic. I want to encourage you guys to at least investigate yep. to see uh, uh, those possibilities. Uh, my next question is, um, I noticed that we had some of the, the maps that were uh, combined data, but I, I, are, do we have it where all of the maps that we've provided are um, able to be combined so we could see different layers together uh, as one overview? That, that is possible, but what happens is that it gets um, too cluttered and it makes it difficult to distinguish different aspects of it. So that's why they're kind of separated into their own categories. And the only composite that we have is both, uh, it's with race and income. Okay. But it, if we want to create a composite of multiple categories, we could do that. Um, that is something that we uh, can look into. And maybe create a different key because I heard, um, and, and, and to the point of that was like people with disabilities, we begin to add those. And then it's like maybe we have so many different maps we're looking at, but if you know we could find a way to modify the key where you maybe blend them together, but so it's not overwhelming, but still provides you know that in-depth data because uh, you know I've been an advocate for people with disabilities, and I was um, concerned about that as well. Is are we looking at that population and how is it spread across our community? 
Additionally, we have so many community uh, partners. I think Guadalupe spoke about it, and I did see this during the HRCS forum, which was phenomenal in the presentation. I was very encouraged. Um, we have so many community partners when we're talking about equity and services, and I think that's where some of this was utilized to say encouraging community partners. In other words, service providers that we contract uh, with to deliver services for gaps, uh, gaps in, in the need in the community. Um, do we, do we have an anticipation to add them into this type of data? So when we're saying there's uh, these different areas of, of need, let's say in a certain category, I live over in the Forest View neighborhood, so let's say there's a need there, are we showing that we might have two community partners that maybe provide basic needs or, or food pantry? Um, I noticed that we're um, constantly talking about making sure that we're providing services and support in the community where it's needed. So if we have this kind of data, um, how do we, or how are we able to, to understand or know that we're providing, you know, uh, some of the general fund dollars to, let's say, 70 or 80 organizations? Are they all on the south side? Are they all on the north side? Um, is that something that you guys are able to integrate into this type of mapping so we can also uh, be encouraged by the support that, that, you know, the community is providing and that even people who may need help can visually see if I'm in this area, you know, we purposefully have funded this organization or provided some supplemental funds to ensure that delivery of care or services is, is, is in, uh, accessible to those in need. I think that that is a great idea and over time we can definitely make it better and I'll, with the, you know, with the information of the email that we provided, I think that I, we want to hear success stories and we want to hear how people are using it. So the more we hear, hear it, the better. And I think organizations, not just the city, um, can utilize it in different ways. Um, and it, this is just something we launched in January. So, you know, we hope that they come over time. Um, but yes, for like HRCS, one of the things when we started developing uh, this equity matrix, our discussion was like, where are we doing the mobile food pantries? Is there somewhere in this map where uh, we haven't targeted? So that's something where we're gonna start using it uh, within our own services that we offer in the city and we encourage all departments to also do the same. Um, you know, Parks and Rec, they have been working with uh, Andy and they have created their own map uh, where they are able to, um, you might be able to give more detailed information, but from my understanding is that they can see really the households that have taken advantage of their programs. Uh, so what about that area where there's no, no families taking advantage of the area, maybe go target that community center a little bit better. So, um, yeah, we're definitely encouraging other agencies, uh, I mean, outside agencies to do the same and also encouraging like our department heads to also do the same. But we have to start getting that feedback in order for us to provide that in the equity matrix. Because right now we don't have anything because again, we just launched it. Excellent. Well, thank yeah. you so much. So regarding the uh, email, which was equity at lancingmi.gov, yes. is that um, in on the website as well? Yes. And it says for any input, you know, please mm -hmm. give us a call. Excellent. And uh, to that last point, I appreciate the time, everybody. To what Councilwoman um, Wood was saying, as well as Garza, we do have all of those community partners that we're currently servicing. And I found over the years, just being in the community myself, when you're getting services or working with a community partner, you have a level of trust because you're working with them and maybe it might be over long term and working with the staff. 
are we um, pulling local data, you know, indirect uh, grassroots to integrate into the, you know, United States Bureau Census and all of those things where people are maybe as comfortable? Are we working with the community partners to say how many people have you served or, you know, do you have any data that we can, you know, input and add as local data? For example, let's say uh, um, Crystal Ray. Let's say they serve a, a, a high a Hispanic population and they're located in the community. They might say, well, we serve, you know, three or 400 people in this area, uh, even though it might only show two on, on our actual report. So do we have a, a thought or a process to get local data, you know, more grassroots where it could be more the makeup of the community because of that trust and relationship that's been built? Mm -hmm. We don't, uh, we're not collecting that data. Um, I mean, again, it's something that we can look for uh, in the future and if any Anybody, you know, hits that pool of data or that we're missing, such as things that you're mentioning, please contact us because, you know, um, we want to make sure that this, you know, over time it gets better and it's more able to be utilized in different ways. Okay, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. All right, seeing no other questions or comments, uh, we certainly appreciate your time. We really do. You we thank a you. Of tough questions. I think you did a great job. Um, and we know just by looking at this how much work went into this, and then we know obviously the continued support that's going to be necessary to keep this current. Um, we just we just hope that it can truly provide for that intentionality as we make decisions and, and move forward. So thank you so much. Really thank you, Vice traffic. President. I mean, President Hussein. Now I'm going back to where you said in the beginning, um, and for the time and also the opportunity. And we hope to hear more feedback and comments in our email. Thank Fantastic. You. Thank you so much. We appreciate all of you. That brings us to agenda item C, discussion action. We have one item uh, today, uh, and we have a closed session. So Vice President Wood. Uh, thank you, President Hussein. Uh, pursuant to MCL 15.268C of the Open Meetings Act, I hereby move that we recess into closed session for strategy and negotiation sessions connected with the negotiation of the collective bargaining agreement between the City of Lansing and Teamsters Local 214 um, as requested by the city. There is a motion on the floor for the discussion. Seeing none, clear book. Would you take the roll, please? Councilmember Hussein? Yes. Councilmember Wood? Yes. Councilmember Spadafore? Yes. Councilmember Spitzley? Yes. Councilmember Garza? Yes. Councilmember Jackson? No. Councilmember Daniels? Yes. Councilmember Brown? Yes. Motion carries 7 1. After a quick closed session, we will reconvene. We have one resolution for action before adjourning. We will start the city council meeting after that time. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go ahead and reconvene. Let the record reflect a time of 6.55. Um, that moves us to agenda item number seven for action. We have a resolution. Vice President Wood. Uh, thank you. At this time, I would move for the ratification of the tentative agreement and CPA, CBA of the um, Union Teamsters 214 supervisory and non-supervisory units. And this impacts approximately 21 employees. All right, there's a motion on the floor for the discussion. Seeing and hearing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 All those opposed, same sign. Motion carries. With no other business before the body, we are adjourned at 655 and we'll start our city council meeting. At